Welcome to the Clash Podcast. In a first for Bath Rugby, we'll be celebrating all that is extraordinary about the annual event hosted at Twickenham. We'll be hosting some special guests from the club, both current stars and legends of the game, alongside invited guests from outside the rugby world. There'll be some rugby chat, some fun and games, and some deeper conversations on a range of topics. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Clash Podcast, episode number three. Well, some great fun and games we have for you on this week's podcast. We talked to Mr. Elliot Stook and Mr. Zach Mercer about their business aspirations after rugby. There's something to do with bagpipes and cars. Anyway, you'll have to listen in to get more of the details on that. Then we talked to Neil Hatley about coaching the new generation of rugby players and his experience in Japan during the Rugby World Cup. And last, but definitely not least, we have another of the Bath Glitterati with us here at Farley House. Mr Lee Mears is in the building telling us about his thoughts on rugby today and what he's doing with his life today. So let's get things underway and welcome the two Bath players on this Clash podcast, Mr Elliot Stook and Mr Zach Mercer. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the Clash podcast. No, Simon, thank you well, for joining right. us that, that's on the accepted. Clash podcast. All I'm saying is it's an absolute pleasure to be sat here with two fine gentlemen today. Well, thank you very much, Zach. No we, worries. We're still we have to, to point pitching, out we're but... glad that it's not scratch and sniff because the showers aren't working and you two have just been training. Well, you know, I have showered. So I'm uh, I Zach, Zach, Zach did half the session. Um, just that, like is that the usual? It's just like he's only done half the season so far. Really? Um, and I've done the full one and I do smile because I miss the showers. So if anyone's thinking it, it's going to be me. Well, let's well get this on and get it done quickly then. Heading towards Twickenham, and, and you think there's going to be loads of kids there that are ticking a big box in, in their rugby dreams about going to Twickenham, but they also want to further on be thinking maybe about playing and playing at Twickenham. I want to take you two back. I'm going to start with you. Simon, take us back, mate. Take us away back. Zach, Zach, was it obvious that you were going to be involved in rugby with your dad being a, a Kiwi rugby leaguer? Was that always on the cards in your mind? I would say so, definitely. Um, it's always something I obviously grew up watching it, so kind of got pushed down that route and uh, it turned out not to be too bad at it. Whereas Elliot's all about graft, he didn't really have much talent, um, <laughs> but he just works hard. Um, well, cheers, that. No, just funny. works hard. Yeah, he just works hard. Um, I don't do much else, to be honest. All I'm saying is he played very well at the weekend, I thought. Uh, anyway, back to the question, Simon. Um, yeah, rugby was always in my family, it's always something I wanted to pursue, and uh, luckily enough, I got the opportunity to do that. Because you started in Yorkshire, you went up to Scotland, now you're back down here in Bath, but I understand your first involvement was at the jungle, Castleford Tigers. Talk us through that story. Um, yeah, i kind of been travelling around the UK a little bit. Um, actually, mascot for Castleford Tigers. Of course Tigers. you were. Yeah, you yeah but what happened? You love rugby. You love what rugby, happened? Oh, you haven't what happened? story yet. No, All right, go on then. There I was, at the jungle. At the jungle. About to run out with the boys, you know. The lions and tigers and bears the jungle. And the song came on, in the jungle, in my... <laughs> and then obviously that got to me a little bit and I got a bit scared and started crying and actually didn't make it out onto the pitch. I got so you didn't scared. go? No, I didn't get onto the pitch, I was kind of a bit scared actually. What did your dad say after that? Uh, he pretty much pulled me aside and said how much of a shame he was of me and I wasn't his child. And... <laughs> <laughs> Check the DNA. I just can't remember, I was too young. <laughs> Elliot, where did, you, where did your rugby path start? Um... <sighs> I, I remember it all starting really at the age of 10, um, watching the Six Nations, actually. I remember my old man was raving about it. I was like, oh, I sat down with him. Um, 
Right there, Joe. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> sat down <laughs> with him. He's done half a um, session, remember? Yeah, he's done half a session. He's still full of beans. Um, sat down with him. And he said, son, you'd probably be good at this. So he, uh, that, that Sunday, uh, next Sunday, we went down to the, what was it, the local club at that time. It was Eastern Rugby Club, the one he grew up doing. And I got stuck in down there, really. Um, I remember hating it at the start. And then I got I got right into it. Um, Were you and, always a big lad? Were you always going to uh, no, be a not forward? Really. I, was, I suppose I was quite tall, but I was never really that big. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of grew and got on, got on with it. From when, was, when was the first time that you actually thought... I could make a go of this. Maybe it's a job. Because, I mean, in most of Zach's life, he's seen professional rugby. Yeah. Did you um, always see that? No, not at all. Um, I, did a, I did it for fun, uh, obviously, when I was younger, which is obviously the main priority. You want to do it for fun. Um, and then, uh, when did I think... I suppose it was when I went when I was 16 and became like... I went to Hartbury, and it was all a little bit more serious there. They take winning very, very seriously down there in terms of their culture they breed. Um, and then I got picked up by Gloucester, and I thought maybe I could make a shot of this, um, and I went for it. So, still trying to make it now. Still trying to make it now, Jeff. Because at sixteen, <laughs> you were playing for Scotland under sixteen. Right? Oh, he was he was already a superstar at that age, mate. He was already a superstar. Yeah, he <laughs> he's not going to deny it. Yeah, yeah I got, <laughs> got a Scotland shirt framed at home. Oh, you so you're Scottish, are you? I don't know what I am. So you got England, two England caps. Yeah, but you're but you're Scottish. No. Sound like Jim Alton here, mate. But you like bagpipes, right? I do. I used to enjoy the bagpipes, yeah. Right, okay. Bit, you know? Okay, so what, so are you Scottish or are you English? I'm English, mate. So you're English? Depends who's asking. But you've got a Scottish, Scotland shirt up on your wall? No, I don't have a Scottland shirt. Oh, my Lord. Was it a flip of the coin? away somewhere. Zach, was it a flip of the coin? No, I never... It's going to sound quite bad, but... Cash? <laughs> <laughs> Check? Question mark. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, obviously, I grew up in Scotland and an opportunity came to play international rugby. Uh, I took it even at that age and... Uh, I've always wanted to play for England and obviously I signed down here at Bath and, and got an opportunity to so Did you get any pressure from mum and dad obviously dad New Zealand and No and I don't think English. so I think they always knew I wanted to play for England and uh, I got the obviously like I said I got an opportunity to do that and I credit to Scotland for kind of getting to where I am but I never really was interested to play national uh, rugby for them too Because you both came through age groups No not, yeah. not, not at all at it Because you came through age groups as well I did a bit what? of 20s yeah 20s, where were you? Because you were at, one of the first junior world champions for England. Yeah, right? so... Um, <laughs> what was that, Jack Clifford's lot? <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, Cliff, uh, Jack Clifford's lot. Uh, me, Slady, Nolsey at the time. Uh, Tony, was, Tony was there. Um, yeah, we had, a, we had a good year that year. I got I dislocated my elbow in the semi right. against New Zealand that year. Um, and then watched the boys go and lift the trophy against Wales, I believe, if I mm-hmm. remember rightly, in the final. Yep. Um, we lost to South Africa in our group, uh, managed to squeeze through on points. Um, I think we had old Pisporians against us in one of the groups. We had USA, maybe, and they weren't very good back then. Um, so we put about 100 on them and managed to squeeze through on points difference against the other groups. So um, Wales somehow managed to pluck a turkey out their arse and beat South Africa in the semis. And we then beat Wales in the final, so that was decent. Was that your first... Big game, big match atmosphere type uh, thing that you remember? I believe so, yeah. Like, that was the first... I remember that tournament being kind of one of the first major uh, things I was involved in. Um, looking back on it, it was, it was quite big for a 20-year-old, uh, these sort of games. Um, uh, I look back on it with great memories as well. Um, it, was a good t- it was a good time, a good, a good time of your life to be away that long with all those top class players like in 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 the country like the likes of Henry Slade the likes of um who else was there Sinks was there at the time 
Uh, Dicky was there playing. I think Dicky was playing loosehead at the time, not yep. a hooker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jack Clifford, Dave Cece, who's well, now playing for Italy. Keep talking. Oh, honestly, these guys, these players, are great mate. at the time. Uh, uh, job. You've had your time. Right. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Um, How do you feel when Dave Cece, a former Bath boy, of course, yeah. now playing for Italy? How do you yeah, feel when Cece, you see that? It's, it's, it's good fun because Cece is one of my best mates, and we bought, uh, we bought, he bought number fourteen, and I bought number fifteen. Um, House, houses, yeah. yeah. Sorry, get that. So we still have a bit of fun about it now. So he's obviously, I'm still here playing uh, second row for Bath. He couldn't really make the side, and then goes goes to Italy, develops his game, becomes an internationally. Uh, internationally established second row at international level so it's great for him uh, I've still got a job here so do you give him much banter? oh fly into him all the time all the fly into him when you're gonna he's really enjoying his Italian stuff. lifestyle at the moment see, so I can tell you that right now wind forward four years and you're leading England 20s out against New Zealand in Georgia mm. when you look back at, at that sort of age group stuff how important was it in the way that you are now? Yeah, we'll talk about that game. Um, I well, didn't. I moved on. You noticed what happened? Uh, yeah, we don't New Zealand that. happened. Oh yeah. Maybe um, he's turned up. I think it is like going a bit nosy now. It is one of the like, the, like Stucky said, it's like the best years of your life playing with like a great bunch of lads. And uh, I remember Todd Black had always pushed me to go play twenties. Um, he says the last t- chance you get to play your age group, and he was always pushing me to go do that. And um, yeah, no regrets going to do that. I really enjoyed it, and it does establish you. Um, and some players still rely on their 20s careers to get them going now, don't they really, Elliot? Yeah, they do, mate. Looking but was it a different <laughs> field to play in your game? Because now you're professional rugby players, you're in a different a different goldfish bowl, for want of a better word. When you look back at it now, was it that, that freedom, that, that unpressurised well, uh, rugby? Like that said, it was, it's, it was your last final time to play a good standard of rugby with guys your own age. Um, like you come straight back out of the twenties, and if you're lucky enough and you're good enough, you go straight into adult rugby, straight into the professional uh, era. Like Zach's lucky enough to to have done it, and I was lucky enough back in Gloucester to have gone and done it. So, um, like like Zach said, when Toddy was pushing Zach to go play for the twenties to have to express himself, to enjoy himself in his last, because it is the last time you play age group rugby, um, and then it all gets a little bit more serious. Um, but no, like like you said, the question before in terms of. How does it stand you in, in the future? Yeah, it's massive. Um, you make memories and friendships and you still talk about those sort of days now with uh, like uh, six years on, now I'm 26. I still talk about some of the 20s memories I have with Tone at the club. Um, yeah, so catch up with still, still good mates with all the boys uh, all over the place. So lad, lads, I've already already said so. It's, it's, good, it's good fun. I balk at the word brotherhood, but it is that thing. It is, yeah, it, it is, it's yeah. That, it's tight, it's that, a tight-knit group. That like, club, that gang, if you want. It's a nice, but then like a core of players, a good core of the group, will stay close and tight knit. It's, it's it's good fun. It is nice. So now we're moving into professional club game. You've had to up the ante in so many ways. I mean, I, I announced you on at Twickenham, November of 2018, off the bench, came on yep. for one of the Curry brothers. I yep, can't remember Tom, which. Yeah. And then suddenly you're on, you're into a different a different world, aren't you? As an international, yeah, it's weird. I don't think it's yeah. Yeah, obviously, I got an opportunity to play for England. Um, real proud moment of, of mine and my family's life. And yeah, you don't really obviously the step up in intensity and physicality is massive. 
Um, but when you get off the field, you're still the same person. Um, apart from the fact that you've got your international cap number next to you and you've got a shirt, but you're still the same person that walked onto the pitch before you were cap. So for me, obviously, it's something I want to get more of. Um, me and I are in the same boat, really. And uh, obviously, we want to stride and keep running out of Twickenham and wearing things rose on our chests. And I'm sure we're still young, both of us. We've still got a lot more opportunities and um, we'll see what happens, really. But yeah, it's always cool to represent your country and, and to be honest I don't really think still believe it's actually happened you do you have that realization where you actually have to look in the on the on the website and see mate I was 24th man that day mate I was watching yeah, you, I was proud of you man well you yeah. did if I remember right you did a couple of the bar bars games yeah you? I don't know days. me and Zach have done a bar bars game, a bar together, bars game yeah. yeah um and then I was lucky enough to be 24th man a couple of times in the autumn is it the autumn series we did it's autumn, yeah. yeah I watched Zach get his cap first that was good a good yeah. moment to watch him get that now you're seeing Charlie now I'm seeing in the group and yours that's your yours he's just absolutely done wonders in there hasn't he um I'm trying to hold the fort down back here whilst he's going off getting his caps left does that still back. provide the driver though yeah, absolutely. I see yours, you do well. I, there's no reason why I can't go and, um, and push myself on to do what, something like he's achieved. So no reason whatsoever. And you've, you consistently prove yourself. I mean, if I remember two seasons ago, you didn't miss a single premiership game. Only Bath player that didn't. Yeah. That, that consistency is, has got to give Make sure you, you a lot of Stuart confidence. Hooper that when it comes around to contract time. Yeah. But it's... it's it's that build. You were saying, you know, you go onto a different plane. You have to find those different drivers, that different momentum to up the ante again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I'm quite, quite a naturally driven person inside anyway. Um, but, of course, there's outside drivers always. I mean, yes, of course, I want to get an international cap, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you've got to be driven yourself inside, um, especially in this day and age as well. The games are so hard. It's so relentless. What was it? There was 19 games in a row uh, uh, we've just done. Yeah. So. You've got you've got to be mentally switched on. You've got to be mentally ready for it. Um, you've got a lot of external factors, aren't you? Eddie? A lot of people pushing you. Yeah, like people. The owl. Yeah, yeah, the owl, the, owl, the frog, the frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people push you, eh? Yeah, yeah. Come on. Oh, mate. Oh, no, Go on. You don't. Can't talk about the old, Exter- the old circle of trust, really, isn't it? <laughs> the old circle of trust, mate. The old circle of trust. Yeah, everyone, everyone. So all, all your mates want you to do well as well. So um, in that in that respect, but you've got to be emotionally connected to the game. Do you keep in touch with your mates? Is that for Always. both of you, is yeah, that yeah, still, yeah, yeah. you were talking about, I'm, I'm the same no, person. I I, you keep that social circle going, no? no I don't know if Zach's got any mates outside of rugby, have you, boy? I think you've got one. One? Just one friend. Yeah, just all right. One. One's oh, enough. Okay. <laughs> um, it's important to have friends outside of rugby. Yeah. Um, because obviously all we do is rugby, and then you go home, and you don't just want to see your mates and talk about rugby again. Uh, want to get that switch off in yes. the job. So it's quite good to have a, a, a bunch of friends that like rugby, but don't, you don't, they're not going to always ask it's not about the first rugby. topic of conversation, is yeah. it? Yeah. Not, what do you I mean, do outside? You, what do you do you outside get... of rugby? Do you oh, Elliot, have... what do you do outside of rugby? Uh, Everybody talks about gaming and Xbox and whatever yeah, we else. A, we do a lot. You... you have a games room, don't you, Jov? I have a games room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We do a bit of PlayStation, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of cinema trips. Uh, a lot of sparring. Uh, a lot of I go go up to Cheltenham, see my boy, see the lads quite a bit every now and then. Um, Go down, go down, pop down uh, Bristol as well. Catch up a couple of mates in Bristol. Colouring as you, Elliot, as well. Bit of colouring, switch, but t- mm. switch. You do a bit of Lego as well, Jardy. Uh, I've just started doing some Lego. I heard the Statue of Liberty was the uh, yeah. oh, the pinnacle, but I just finished one yesterday. We just took, we just brought Jarv back from New York. A little break, week break. Yeah. We took him to New York and. He was kicking up a first but after day three that he hadn't gone to the Lego store and he wanted to build, a, build his <laughs> so little I got the Statue, Statue of Liberty. Liberty. And I think that's kind of kept me sane while I was injured, to be honest. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't mm. there? Switch off to it. Oh, knock it till you try it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You have to do there. that. 
you say switch off. Do you oh, actually have, consciously to, have to go? There's players right, that don't switch off. There's players. There's players who religiously don't switch off. But you've got. To, in my opinion, like Reese Priestland. Reese Priestland don't switch off. Ever. That guy needs to relax. Man. Honestly, Just get the switch off. But he's <laughs> Reese is Reese is doing this business management yeah, you're right. degree and yeah, stuff. We are joking, but Reese is Reese Henry Chuds are doing business degree management. Francois's got things and pies left, right, and room. Flo's got pies and pies and pies. Yeah. Um, Have you thought? I mean, it's a long way off. But have you thought about what you're going to do? Yeah, we're going to invest in a car company. Are we? Car garage. <laughs> oh yeah, we are. Is that gen- gen- GCS? Genuine yeah, car GCS, services. Yeah, uh, they're going to get a hammering. Let's just say we we got some things. In we, got, we got we got we got we got pipeline. We got yeah. pipelines and we got things. In the boys talk about it because, in all seriousness, absolutely, it is. You know, it's, it's a, Simon, you never it's a, know when the next injury is going to come or whatever, and who knows when you're going to have to start. I mean, it up. it's a hot topic of conversation, like in terms of injuries, retirement. It's not a nice thing to talk about at all, no. obviously, because this is kind of like, well, this is all we know, really. Mm. I have no idea things outside of rugby, to honest with you. Um, and it, sound, it sounds awful, but the fact that, the, the fact of the matter, this is, this is all we really know, eh, Jav? Um, but this is what I'm saying about being professional yeah, rugby that, players. Yeah, that's the thing. And we have a brilliant... There's no crossover, is there? We have a brilliant... We have a brilliant um, what, the RPA, the, uh, the organisation that help us with uh, the transition into, we call it, civvy life. Um, mm. Because because you can be in a rugby player into being a, a civilian, um, and it's, it's it's just it's just it's it's so different. It's going to be different when it happens. But we do we do prepare now. That the RPR there to help us now for that ten. Well, well, what was it? Well, hopefully, I'll play until I'm thirty five. Oh, it's further down the line than me. Yeah, a little bit further down yeah. the line. Ten years time. Still going to play in the states yet. Oh yeah, a little states trip would be quite nice. Um, oh, why not, John? Yeah, go on then. Uh, but yeah, they, they're there to help us ready for when the time comes. So we get all our stuff done now. Hence why you look at, look, we've already used the example, but uh, Chess, Chuds and H are all doing their degrees. Um, loads of boys are doing their, like a building management or whatever it is. We've got all our, the thing is, Bath's also a good place where a lot of the sponsors in Bath, um, they let you come do work experience with them. They love it. They absolutely love it. They like us coming in and, uh, just chilling with them for the day, seeing what they get up to. I mean, I know a few of the boys go down to my flying ki- flying pig company, um, which is a home renovation in Bath. Um, they see what they get up to. Uh, what you've done a work experience day with your? I've potted around a little bit. Yeah. yeah, like Elliot said, there's just so many good links around Bath, and everyone's willing to help. Yeah, um, it's a friendly so, culture, isn't it? And even like our RPA rep, like whatever you need, he'll get it sorted for you. So it's um, yeah, we definitely. There's some of the I haven't really thought about yet. Well, you're only 22, yeah. for God's sake. It's not... But it's definitely something that I need to start thinking about and seeing what I want to do. And um, we've got the certain support platform that can help us do that. In terms of the group, I mean, characters like you obviously drive the group. There's a balance in everything. I'm trying to say but something. Do you, I'm, I'm saying, joker, do you... Do you I mean, because I remember Ant, Ant Watson talking about Zach and saying what a, like great, what a great guy you were, but there was no off button. Yeah. He's it's, definitely matured. It's the balance, though, I was just saying, me and Ant go head-to-head quite a bit. Do you? Is that cool? Is that, what's that? What's that for? What's Xbox. That? I don't know. No. But there are That's different nice, characters, aren't there? No, no. Ant looks after me and I try and look after him. You know, I take him under my wing a little bit and... <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you, Absolutely You not. veteran, you. Absolutely do you feel, not. seriously... Zach, do you feel in a different place within this group now? When did you join? 2016? It's my fifth year here now, yeah. Yeah. And you, Elliot, I mean, you came in, what, a year later. Do you feel you have a different place within the group now that you've matured, in inverted commas? 
Uh, I think I do massively. Yeah, I, when you first come in as a young lad, obviously you're very quiet and very introverted, and which is the way it should be. Like, effectively, got like earn your stripes a little bit, and I'm still earning mine. But it's like just yeah, you find your place and find out what your niche is and where you fit in within the team and uh, understand what people like and people don't like, and then when to talk and when not to yeah, talk. Yeah. Pretty much, and but people don't want me to talk. But I still do it anyway. Uh, yeah, me and Elliot are kind of the, the charisma characters within the group, and. I would say that, Elliot. Yeah, I'll bite you up there, job. Yeah, yeah. But you, coming across from Gloucester, I mean, you know, time was when that never happened. Come on, you Gloucester. I mean, then Tins went to, to Gloucester, Banners has as well. There's yeah. been several names that have crossed the divide, if you like. Yeah. That can't have been that easy for you. I know you had a few injuries that first season. Do you feel, actually, you've you've cemented your place within within this Bath group now? Oh uh, Yeah, I remember... Um... Signing, signing for Bath back, back, what was it, four years ago now? Um, yeah. I was thinking, I was like, what am I doing? I can't be signing for Bath. Like, growing up supporting Gloucester as a kid and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Remember, meant, you meant to hate Bath as a, as a supporter. Like, I grew up watching in the shed for a couple of seasons with my mum and um, on some of my mates. So, I remember signing, signing for Bath. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm signing for Bath. This is ridiculous. And then as soon as you as soon as you realise you step a foot out of the bubble that you used to, so when I was in the Gloucester bubble, you come out and you come into another environment. It's not actually the place that you fall in love with, all the supporters, all the fans, and no disrespect, but it's like it's the brotherhood, like you've already mentioned. Mm. Like uh, you, you form relationships with other people, uh, and you and you have a good bond with other players, um, and it's great. I love it. Um, you realise what professional rugby is. It's absolutely. Yeah, there's a rivalry on the pitch, but as soon as you're off it. There's nothing about really. yeah, your mates, mates yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we got mates in all different clubs, all over the place in the yeah. Premiership in the world. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, rugby is what it is. It's it's a pretty special game to play. Fif- is it, fifteen um, blokes versus fifteen blokes. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. Chasing a bloody ball around. An egg. What stupid idea was that? Egg bladder. Jesus. Just getting back, lastly, to finish off with Twickenham. We've talked about stepping out as with the England rose on. You've both stepped out in Bath colours out there. What what are your memories of previous clashes? What what's different about it when you go to HQ in in club colours? The main difference I feel is just the buzz. It's the energy that, like getting off the bus, the buzz around the place, and it just lifts you. You just know it's going to be a special day. Like win or lose, it's going to be a special day. Um, luckily, I've been enough. I've had. A, I think I've done two wins and a loss there now on a clash. Um, and they've all been equally as memorable as the last. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, for all the right reasons as well. Um, like I said, the buzz and the energy around the place is next level. The fact, like, what was it, 66,000 there last year, Zach? You've got no fans. Got no fans. 66,000. Sort of like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I've only had the opportunity to play there once in Bath Colours uh, last year uh, against Bristol. And yeah, it's just like Stuky said, it's, it's, a, it's exciting because you're at a different place, uh, home of English rugby and... Um, it's pretty mental to think how many fans Bath actually has yeah, uh, yeah, when yeah. you get there. You don't f- obviously the wreck's only fifteen thousand, so that's all you see really. And but it's when you go to Twickenham, you go, "Geez, is that how many fans?" Six thousand fans cheering, um, cheering on. It's unbelievable. Does it change the way you play? Oh, definitely. It's always. De- I won't say the way the style we play, but the excitement and uh, the adrenaline. adrenaline around yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. is completely different. Um, and obviously, as players, you want to put a real good performance in the, uh, for the fans that turned up that day. And, uh, I just think, yeah, like the excitement and the buzz around the day is, is massive and it definitely spurs us on. Do you remember the first time you played at Twickenham? Um, can't have been that, that Samoa game. No, it was. The first time I played at Twickenham was at the Barbars. 
My what first year with the Barbars with Elliot, yeah. It's actually the first time I'm, I, yeah, the second time I went to Twickenham. I sat in the class for the first year and actually yeah, didn't get, get on. on, did you? Um, and then, yeah, the year after, played the Barbars game and that was the first time I ever played at Twickenham. Big moment. Yeah, massive moment, yeah. Family there? Family came down for that one and um, I feel like, yeah, just keep talking about Twickenham, but uh, yeah, it was a massive, obviously, opportunity to actually grace, grace the pitch at that time. Let's just finish by focusing on this weekend. Perhaps one of the hot, toughest trips in the Premiership going to Sandy Park. But is it? how? Well, is it? I disagree. Uh, right. It's another game. Another pitch, mate. Another is it? pitch. Another is set it? of fans. Sandy. Bit, bit windy. Sandy. Bit windy. Bit of a park. Um, everyone says that, and you know what? You got to give respect to Exeter, um, world class team, sitting top of the league. Um, they've kind of built a fortress down there, um, but it's just another ground that we're just going to go there. And play it for 80 minutes and see what happens how useful is it that you won in round two at the rec against them yeah does it play into the psyche at all hmm. uh, I suppose it does in a way oh we know we can beat them because um, we've done it already because um, I think it was five on the trot before you before yeah, I that game so. So, oh, when was the last, we beat them away didn't we uh, I think it was my first year Rocker had the last try of the game yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah so it's a while it was a while till, yeah, yeah, till yeah. that that win so that's important just for the group to know you can do it and have always, done it the sort of thing is with Exeter it's always a physical encounter um, they're a big bunch of lads um, who run hard who run exceptionally hard to be fair um, so in terms of in terms of dominating the line this week um, both sides of the ball we've got to be on the money uh, we've got to front up going away from home um, they've got loud supporters I know the bar fans will be down there as well um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a abrasive one. It's gonna be a physical one. We're looking forward to the challenge, mate. And off the back of the Bristol disappointment, a crucial one. Oh yeah, I was disappointed with uh, Sunday's result, but we can get back on the horse this weekend. <laughs> get back on the horse this weekend and get ourselves down to Exeter and hope for a performance in and um, see what happens, mate. We train well today. And roll the dice. We'll get ready to go. Roll that dice down to Sandy Park and mm. put a performance in. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank Good you. luck. Thank you, Simon. The Clash Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Neil Hatley, defence forwards coach now for Bath Rugby. Hats, you've only been in position for what, three months, four months? Yeah. But you're back in an old position, if you like. How different is it to when you were first at Bath? Yeah, it's it's massively different. Um, you know, the the some of the playing group are the same, um, but coaching staff big change. You know, a, a much younger group before we had sort of Mike, Gary Gold, Toby Booth, all had been head coaches in their own right. You know, Forty had been international coach, Gary had been international coach. Um, you know, so there was a hell of a lot of experience in the coaching staff. Whereas it's a bit different now. Um, we've got a really young inexperienced coaching staff that are, are working their backsides off a, good, a really good group of people that work hard. Um, so it's a bit different from that point of view. I think, um, you know, the, the dynamic of the playing group's changed. Um, so, yeah, there, there's still one or two faces, you know, JJ and Anthony and Francois Lowe, Reese Priest and people like that. But on the whole, it, it's a pretty new group. And it's also you coming back now as an international coach. So does that make a difference to, to your mindset? Yeah, I think so massively. You know, I, I'm, you know, I like to think I learned so much in that three and a half, four year period. Um, you know, having 
you know, the, the privilege of working with people like Eddie, Steve Borthwick, Scott Wisemantle, um, you know, some of the consultants that we had come in and, and uh, you know, the different environments that we got exposed to and, and the way that we got challenged weekly to, to keep getting better as an individual, as a coach. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'd like to think, yeah, I'm in a much better position to impact on, on the squad than I was four years ago. The last England outing, of course, was in Japan in that World Cup final. We talk a lot about players coming back and maybe having difficulty in getting going again, raising that bar again from an international perspective. How have you found it? Was it, was it good to just get going straight away after, after getting back? Um, do you know what I thought it would be? I, um, we flew back Monday, um, prepared for a review Tuesday, reviewed the whole day Wednesday, and started work Thursday. Um, and I, I thought that was probably the best way forward. Looking back now, it probably wasn't. Um, what would you have preferred? I'd have probably preferred some... Two months on the beach? <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe just a week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just to, to process properly what happened. Um, you know, it was the best rugby experience of my life and the worst rugby experience of my life. Yeah, sure. Um, so... I think it's taken a long time for me to get my head around it. I actually read something that Sam Underhill said, which made a big difference. And that, you know, he said he wasn't prepared to let 80 minutes ruin what was a fantastic experience for him. Um, and that was probably the most sensible quote that I've, I've read about it, you know, since I finished. I genuinely struggled with, with, with what happened. Um, not just for me, because I, I know how much work the boys put in, you know, it was for, for the, and I'm sure you look at it now sensibly and you go, well, South Africa, Wales, uh, everyone would have put work. It's not like mm. anyone just turned up. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was frustrating and hard to, to pro, you know, to, to process through. Spent a long time speaking to Steve and to, and to Eddie on the Sunday and, and trying to, you know, you, you look internally first to what would you have done different? Who Would you have done this? Would you have done that? Um, so trying to work through all of that. So, yeah, probably taking a little bit of time to maybe just, just work through all of that. Because you can't actually understand until you're out of the woods exactly how much pressure it's put on you, how much stress you've been through in that period, and ultimately the disappointment of, of just falling one, one fence short. I'm not sure it was the presence. You know, you, you, take, the, you take the job, you understand that there will be pressure and stress um but it, for me that was a welcome challenge you know I, I wanted I wanted to to be pushed um and we got pushed um you know I wanted to be pushed I wanted to be challenged I wanted to I wanted to use it as an opportunity that if I get better I hopefully I, I make the squad better and and the way Steve and I worked we make the forwards better um that for me was was always the challenge um you know there, there's only you look at tier one international rugby sides you know so there's probably what eight or ten of those top jobs around in world rugby so if you're doing one of those jobs um you'd expect it to be not an yeah. easy job and you know I, I never went into that thinking anything otherwise so for me it wasn't so much the pressure and the stress for me it was a privilege you know it wasn't I didn't see it as a stressful position I probably felt like that once or twice or you know not I'm even under, retrospectively um no I, for me it was just a privilege you know I was to work with that group of players to work with with like I said with people like Steve and Scott Wisemantle the analysts that we had you know Kaz Morgan Joe Lewis these sort of guys you looked how hard they worked and how everyone worked in a group. Um, so now, for me, it was just an absolute privilege. I, I didn't 
despite my accent, you know, I was born in England. I'm a massively proud Englishman. I, I, I didn't play Test at the at the top level, um, so this for me was the, the was the closest thing to it. You know, to sing. You talked a little bit earlier about singing anthems on match days and things like that, and going to Ireland and scrapping with Ireland and going to Wales and places like that. It, it's the best rugby experience I've ever had. Mm. I mean, to to go to Japan and experience that. You know, I know Eddie's been through three World Cups and other coaches have done it. Um, you know, it was it was a genuine privilege. Um, so for me, it wasn't a burden. It wasn't stressful. It was stressful probably towards the end, um, but I, I didn't see it like that at the time. I, I just saw it as as a brilliant opportunity and a real privilege. Now we're halfway through the Six Nations and no doubt you've been watching bits and pieces, if not all of it. Do you watch it with different eyes, though, with a different view? Uh, yeah, probably. Then, then before, when I first got the job, so I think I do look at it a little bit differently. Um, I'm probably a lot more protective of, of the group and the, the playing Still, group and the yeah, coach yeah, massively. You know, the yeah, guys yeah. that I work day in, day out with, I, so, you know, I probably get the hump when I hear some of the, the comments after the France game. If you're not creating opportunities, then you're having a whole different conversation. But England created opportunities. They got into the French 22, 17 times, mm -hmm. um, you know, and there were opportunities to win the game. Even with a few minutes left, we're knocking on the door. Um, and I think, you know, when you've done what that group did, and you lose a game and people are going, oh, that's that, should get sacked, they should get... I, I look at it and I just think it's just so ludicrously stupid. I, I, I really fathom sometimes to understand what people are looking at. Um, and then you win a game, a tough game in ridiculous conditions in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then go forward, you know, I, I was at the... I, I got a, a ticket in the North Stand to watch the, the Ireland game and, uh, really, and it was a great game to go back to. You know, obviously... It, I do, yeah, massively. I can't believe anyone wouldn't not miss match days at Twickenham or anything like that. It's, it was the best the best experience of my, of my life from a rugby point of view. Is it? Yeah, I loved it. That's good. I love yeah. that. No, I loved it. And going back was great, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, going back and, and sitting in the stands. But it changed. And singing I mean, anthem. Only... Yeah, that changes a little bit, but you can. I'm still looking at all the signals come up and down in the box, trying to see what's going on there. Um, you know, when, who's, who's coming down, when are the bench going on, all those sort of things. So, yeah. no, it's, it's great. You know, I just thought it was an absolutely magnificent performance. You know, Ireland are a good side and they're well coached with some world-class players and they were never in that game at any point. You know, from the first whistle to the end, I know they scored at the death, but were never in the game. And that, that's not, for me, that's not a diamond on, on Ireland. I think that's how good England were. Especially the pack. Unbelievable. You know, Mara Toji and, and, and Joe Myler and Ellis Genge, these guys, I thought they were outstanding. Jamie George, Luke Khan, Dickey, the power that they bring off the bench now. So, yeah, you know, I think Eddie put his hand up, didn't he? He said he got, probably got the preparation wrong. I'm not sure. Um, he doesn't get a lot wrong. Um, so if he comes out and says that, there's obviously some, some merit in it. Um, and I think they just get, got better Scotland and then just got better again Ireland. So, you know, I'm looking hopefully for a big finish for them and, and somebody else slips up. Um, it'd be great, you know, after the disappointment of World Cup to, to win the Six Nations for that group. What's your take then on the Wales game the weekend? Um, yeah, I think England. Um, and that's not just head uh, or heart. I, I think it's... Just the way that they're building up. Again, Wales are a great side. I, you know, I respect them massively. I thought the the game against Ireland, I probably haven't seen a, a Welsh side struggle at the game line like that for two or three years. They're normally, that's where they're so good. They're so yeah. combative. Yeah. They work hard. 
you know, they're, they're an unbelievably hardworking team who give you nothing. Um, but I, I just think watching that England pack, um, Manu back, you know, Manu back and firing, you know, he just brings a whole different threat. Yeah. Um, you know, potentially and Watson fit, Johnny May, you know, Johnny May back to where he was. I just, you know, not stars aligning, but I just think hopefully England will have too much on the day. So looking at the Six Nations with both eyes open, half-term report, as it were, have France surprised you that they are the only unbeaten team? A little bit. I thought they were, I thought they might struggle in Wales, um, but they've done a good job. You know, they've got some good youngsters there. As a coaching group, when I was in previously, you know, we, we always talked about France going, they're good players. You know, they'll get it right at some point. And, and, well, and we saw those, that in the 20s for yeah, the last two yeah, years. Yeah, you know, and they've been play. brave and they've selected, they've selected a younger group and, and brought these younger players through. Um, and there's some hell of a, you know, yeah. Intermac, Pinot, Bamba, you know, there's some good players in there, um, some really good players, um, you know, Olivier. So I, I, you know, I, probably a little bit surprised. I thought, um, you know, it was a good performance against England. And I thought to go to, to, to Cardiff and win there, that was a good, really good performance from them. Um, obviously, they've got Scotland and Ireland left. I think Ireland will be working hard. Um, you know, they won't want to lose another game. So I think it's wide open. I think it's probably theirs to lose. Um, but for that young group, see how they go you know, under the pump of heading into the last two weekends needing big results to, to get a Grand Slam. But um, Is your pocket money on them for a Grand Slam then or not? Uh, <laughs> no, I suppose again because I just want England to win. Um, look, I, like I said, I think it's theirs to lose. I really do. Um, they've been impressive. I think they, they seem to have been more cohesive than they've been for a little while. Um, you know, Fabian Galtier has given them some good direction. Defensively, they're a bit better. They're a bit organised. Um, we know why that is. Um, but, I, you know, I just think they seem more compact, more cohesive, more organised than we've seen them previously. And they're picking players in the right positions, which they haven't always done. Critically. Yeah. <laughs> right. Bath matters, and it does. They say any experience is good experience, and you no doubt have been able to build on your experience internationally over three and a half, four years. How different have you been able to use that now coming into the bar setup under Stu Hooper and get some momentum into this Bath group, which we've seen over the last what, three, four games, haven't we, at least? Um, yeah, look, I, I think the premiership's so tight. My, my experience coming back, you know, I got asked a question in there about, you know, style, people want to see tries. Yeah, we do, and, and you want to win well. But I think for this group, it's understanding how to win. So we need to win consistently first. If we don't win, um, you know, playing the most attractive rugby in the world, um, I'm sure that everyone in the group is going to be all right with that for a while. Mm. That, that will have to change eventually. But this group, it's a young group, you know, Stuart, Boyce, Abano, even Josh McNally from an experienced point of view, Josh Bayless. There's one or two guys like Francois Lowe and some experienced guys there. But, you know, it's a, it's a pretty young group. So I think that was the first time in four or five years that Bath's gone three in a row. Um, so first and foremost, this team needs to learn how to win consistently. And if we win, you know, 13, 12, 19, 18, I, th I think our last three games prior to Bristol, we'd won by one point, three point, seven points. And, you know, this, this league is a tight league. It's, it's a one-point score for most games. So to learn to win consistently, and I think not just to learn to win on, on the Saturday, but to understand in the week, what you have to do to prepare to win. Okay. Um, I think that's probably where 
you know, I might be able to have the biggest influence in that you don't just turn up on a Saturday and things go okay for you. Um, it's actually to understand the, the detail that you need to put in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not just from a tactical point of view or technical, but from a recovery, from, you know, load management, how we work with a group to make sure, you know, guys hit the pitch and they're firing, you know, so there's excitement, you know, international rugby, um, you know, there's 10 games a year and you're playing in front of 80,000 people. So, you know, you can get there and you can, you'll be excited about the atmosphere. Um, not always the same at club rugby, um, particularly with the training, you know, it's so different man management. It is hundred percent, hundred percent. So, being able to manage the playing group through that, you know, some guys don't play and some guys sit on the bench don't play for two or three weeks, but you're going to need them to go, you know, so it's how you manage that group. I think for me, understanding that the playing group, the roles of the playing group, um, getting the players to understand that and just see, you know, we, we've, got, we've got a young scrum off here, Ollie Fox, who's, who hasn't had as many opportunities as he, as he would have liked, but how he helps prepare the team in the week has been phenomenal. Really? Absolutely phenomenal. You know, he's, he's, he's done his bit again today and he'll get an opportunity because he's a good young player um, and he's, he's played a few games, you know, at, at the early start of the season. But it's when you see, when you see players start to bind to that and other players recognise, um, you know, that we see that. There's nothing unseen here. We see the work that players are putting in. I think that for me is an area that we can have real influence. And so the guys start to understand that, you know, winning on a Saturday starts on Sunday evening or Sunday morning and how they conduct themselves in the week, the work that they put in, the detail that they put in there, that's going to make all the difference. We were chatting earlier on to Zach and to Elliot Stoke and going back over their path to where they are now. You mentioned young players now having more of an impact on the on the Bath squad. And you look at the fast-tracking of players. You know, you can look at England, you can look at across the world that players generally are being fast-tracked quicker now yeah. into the international scene now therefore expectation rises do you find that is a very different managing skill now to manage expectations of youngsters who want success who want profile maybe who want to get further quicker and, and make it realistic is that a, a different thing that's now coming into it's the game huge it's it's you know from from understanding what motivates people. So, you know, you would obviously, as, as a club player, you would want the only thing to be important is that playing for Bath and the history of Bath and the tradition of Bath is the only thing that motivates and drives them. The fact of the matter, it's not. You know, guys will be driven by by family, by providing for family, um, maybe by, by getting a new car or getting more money or, or, or playing more games. Um, I think the, the big skill with younger players now is to understand what motivates them as an individual and not pander to that, but you use that to, you know, to drive them, to drive their performance, but you've got to keep linking everything back. You know, you, you can't just make it completely individual. It's, it's got to relate back to the team so that the teamship, the camaraderie, you know, the togetherness of the squad um, and how you do that with each individual, I think is the skill is the coaching skill. So, you know, what motivates Francois Lowe at 34 as a world cup winner is going to be completely different to what motivates Josh Bayless, you know, at 22 as a guy who's finding his feet or breaking into the squad. Um, and again, that's the skill, you know, that's what we try and put time into as a coaching group to make sure we identify what it is that each individual needs. 
Um, and like I said, without pandering to them, work out how you get the most out of that individual. Mm. I think you'll look at players like, you know, Tom Homer over the last four or five months has probably been a different player to what he's been the last year. Um, and there's no magic wand. It's just understanding, you know, what is it that he needs, what's going to help him play better. You know, I think Benno is just getting better and better and better as well. You know, Mark Liddy's done a brilliant job with with sort of getting to actually really understand the player and what motivates him, what 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 is going to drive him to do better. And you find youngsters now are looking for that responsibility for to to have more of an impact on, yeah, on the way I, the path moves. I think moving. they almost demand it. You know, yeah. feedback. Give me feedback. Yeah. How did I train? Um, what did I do? Oh, no, I don't see that. You know, I think I should be playing. Um, so it's a whole different challenge. You know, it's a completely different challenge, but it's great. You yeah. know, if it was the same thing every day, you'd get bored. Um, so dealing with, with different players, you know, dealing with... Um, different generation. Uh, yeah. You know, so dealing with, with Benno and Nathan Cat is, is completely different. Um, you know, we've got young Gabe Hammer-Webb, who's, you know, who's, who's just got better and better weekly, you know, and understanding what he sees as an 18, 19-year-old compared to even Ant Watson, who I've worked with for a long time, as a 25, 26-year-old. You know, it's different, like you say, it changes. You know, it was one of the big challenges we had with England. Um, you know, how do you, what does the group need? Is it more working off their phones? Or do they want to sit down and chat? You probably don't want to sit down and chat face-to-face, rather just have a message or WhatsApp. So it, it's it's trying to find out what works. And like you say, it's... It's, it's incredible. Yeah, that. it's a huge skill. You know, it's, I think one of the one of the, the biggest skills that, that, you know, you'll get reward from now, current coaching. Just a whole different facet to it. Yeah. Completely. Right, let's just finish on off on the weekend. Um, the disappointment of Bristol will still be rankling in many heads and bodies. But you go to Sandy Park, Exeter will be in a similar scenario, having lost in the last minute to to Quinns. How do you see this game setting up and how much does that match at the wreck in round two play into the equation, if you like? I was near for that, for that the wreck in round two. I, I think that is such a, you know, it almost seems ages ago now. I think it was played... You know, in the hurricane, funnily enough, in the West Country, lots of wind and rain. Um, you know, it was a 13-10 thriller. So I, I, I'm not sure that that will mean a lot. There's a lot of players moved in and out since then. I think probably what's happened over the last month and a half, you know, will, will mean a lot more to it. I think we're playing a lot better. I think they're playing a lot better. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, I'm sure they're smarting like we are from a, from a, a loss like that. Um, you know, the Premiership's so tight now. It's one-score games for, mm. for most of the weeks. Um, you know, and they're a proud side at home, aren't they? Well coached, you know, really good coaching group um, with some really good players who have a, a distinct way of playing that they don't sort of really veer off from. It's served them well over the last four or five years. Um, and we know going down there, it's always very physical. It's very physical. Um, and, and windy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, you've got to look after the ball well because if you give it up, you don't see it for about three or four minutes. So they're a good side of keeping the ball. Um you know, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a proper physical challenge for us. But one we're looking forward to, you know, like I said to you earlier, you know, as, as a group, we need to understand what it takes to win consistently um, and to go to places like Sandy Park and, and win against, uh, you know, the, the, the team that's top of the table. Well, Hats, it's been an absolute pleasure chewing the cud with you. And as far as your initiation into the podcasting world, I think you're a top star. Thank you, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers. 
The clash is getting ever closer. With so much to look forward to, it's more than just a game of rugby. There will be wall-to-wall entertainment for supporters of all ages to enjoy. On the 18th of April, Bath will be taking on old rivals Wasps as both teams make their push for the playoffs. With tickets starting from £20 for adults and £5 for kids and Rugby World Cup stars on both sides, it promises to be a day of high-octane action both on and off the field. Tune into the podcast or visit bathrugby.com forward slash the clash forward slash don't forget the second forward slash for more information on how to buy tickets and what to look forward to in the coming weeks. Well, it's really good to see Mr. Mears back in the uh, Bath locale. I mean, I know you haven't left it, but here at Farley House, how are you doing, Lee? What's happening? Oh, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in the real world. Uh, having to actually do a, a real job. It's quite scary. Isn't real it? world. So what, you're scaling mountains, you're going over ice peaks. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we talking about real? Oh, well, I have a, a, a day-to-day job um, working for a company uh, in London called the Preston Associates, uh, so exec coaching. All right. Um, but they're very understanding and they do let me get away for the odd adventure, um, which nearly killed me this year going up Everest. Yeah, I, I read and saw that, and I was so, so tempted to text you and go, what the are you doing? But these challenges you love. Now, is this, is this a sportsman retired who needs something to get the adrenaline going again? I think so. I think you're always looking for a challenge, um, and, you know, that's, and it, you can't challenge yourself every week like you do in rugby, so otherwise your, your wife will kill you, or mine definitely will. So this was more a big challenge, but it's also, for me, how do you give back? I mean, we raised 250000 for the wooden spoon, and I think we're very, very lucky through rugby to be exposed to you know, great people and great environments. And I think if it's a way of doing a challenge, giving back and meeting people, I think it ticks quite a few of my boxes. 15, 16 years as a rugby player, as yeah. a professional rugby player, what was the hardest thing about stopping? Because it was fairly immediate, 34, we had the ticker problem and, and yeah. then suddenly it was like, Lee's finished. Yeah, I think that the first few months... Um, was sort of yeah really unusual because the rugby season goes on the team goes on and you're just sort of going oh um oh it's just yeah what do I do what do I you know do I get up and play golf with the local old boys at the golf club or do, what do you sink your teeth into but the fact you call them old boys and you're having to go and be one of them yeah well that's what I thought I thought at first you know oh, I'll just play <laughs> golf every day and uh, uh but you soon realize that you know we're competitive animals and we've been bred to sort of compete and to continually learn so I met a wonderful guy called David Scotland um uh who helped me through my transition and coached me um, and that's how I ended up doing the job that I do now. Because it is a transition, isn't it? I mean, you, you have to effectively detrain from everything you've learned over 15, 16 years and, and start a new chapter, yeah, physically and mentally, I guess. Yeah, you're institutionalised. You don't realise it at the time, but you're told where to be, at what time, what to eat, uh, what to wear. I mean, it's a real... It's... And that's only your missus. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> that bit's pretty much carried on, I think. <laughs> you cannot go out just like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you, Mrs. Mears, for allowing him to be here this afternoon, by the way. <laughs> Very good. Um, talking to Flats recently about you know everything that's gone on before, when you look at rugby now, he sees it as a commentator now. You see it from slightly f- further afield, shall we say. Yeah, I'm a fan. Do you recognise the game? Oh, definitely. Um, I think it's uh, it's always evolving. That's the thing I've loved. Um, and I do actually look at the moment. I'm quite excited because I'm seeing 
the teams that are being more successful are the teams that can attack better. And as you know, you know, guys know that that watched me is I almost think, oh, I'd love to. I know they're getting bigger and more physical, more powerful. But I also think if you've got that subtle skill set of being able to tip on, go to the line with multiple options, make the right decisions, um, I think, yeah, you're a great player. And I think boys are coming becoming more athletic they're becoming more skillful you've got to have footwork and you've got to be able to pass and I almost I don't know whether it's just my optimism but I always think oh I'd love to be playing now actually would you yeah I think so I mean you know that whole role of tipping out the back being able to basically put people in space um I sort of spent my life I don't know if I'd like to defend though <laughs> well it is I mean it's hugely physical game oh. now I mean we, you can talk about sevens in the 15s game in terms of attack but in terms of defense it's wwe isn't it i mean it's it's immense yeah it's it is definitely that area that contact area i think is is huge you know the collisions are massive but again the teams like france in the six nations i mean i was at the rec on on the weekend bristol um charles piertau you couldn't get anywhere near him and that's the difference those guys um, that can go into that space, use that footwork and come out the other side are, are going to be the big commodity. You mentioned the Six Nations there. What's your half-term report in terms of the entire thing, not just England? Oh, thank goodness someone's finally got hold of France. I mean, as you asked me as a fan, yeah. they've been the dormant giant for so long, aren't they? Every now and again, you'll see what they can do and then they just disappear and you wonder where they've gone. Whereas I think I'm so impressed. I know Rafael Ibanez, I've been played against him for years. Uh, Fabien Gaultier. Um, you know, I think finally, and then the crazy Sean Edwards, how they stole him off us again. <laughs> I know, he's made the difference, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, and they have. They, they have done a wonderful job. Really good young cropper players that have got a great work ethic and uh, and you know I'm really keen to see if they can continue for the rest of the Six Nations because as commentators it always slips in Jouet Jouet because you know that they have that oh. facility that capacity but it's never produced not on a regular basis this lot of youngsters seem to have that belief and a galvanized belief that that's the way to do it. And you can win games playing like that. Yeah. And that's the worry with the French is that they are so physical, yet they have the skill. And it has been brilliant to see. Uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed the halfback pairing. Um, I've just been on fire, little Entomac and um, Dupont. Dupont. He's world class, isn't he? So those two pulling the strings, pace and power in the forwards. It's been it's been great to watch. And the thing is, they've got strength in depth because yes, we're talking about Entomac and Dupont, but behind them there's Saran. Yeah, fly halves. They've got Carbonell. There's the Bordeaux. Uh, 10 whose name escapes me at this minute they're all sort of 20 21 22 yeah and you just think you know if he gets injured it's not the end of the world because they've got people coming through now and and that in the same way that England have got that yeah. strength in depth what have you made of, of Eddie Jones side so far well that's quite interesting that you just said strength in depth we got the most players in the world we, we don't seem to have any number eights uh <laughs> well Two fours make an eight, don't they? Oh, or God. Seven plus one. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think Eddie Jones creates the most high-performing culture. I mean, you, know, you hear about it, you, you speak to boys, the level of detail that they go into. And I think when he does that, when he creates and he focuses on the culture and the, and the environment, you see victories like the semi-final of the World Cup, the best game of rugby I think I've ever watched. Mm. Clinical. Certainly as an Englishman. Oh, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. But I also think that sometimes it becomes the Eddie show. And when he starts going after the press and, and that whole sort of 
you know, it's about me, it detracts from the boys. And I think that's when you get this indifferent performance. Do you not think he's doing that for a reason? To distract attention from his players? Or is that actually a, a positive he's trying to put in place that probably might work as a negative? Yeah, I think it's something that he might be doing, but it has an adverse effect. I don't know. But I just, I don't see the consistency in the... In, in the in the performances and yes they yeah they beat Ireland um, and yes it is about winning but it wasn't the most sort of yeah it wasn't the the rugby that we all want to see and love um, but again you you win against Ireland and he'll say well it's all about winning well we didn't win against France did we so mm. um, but I I just you know I I know how good he is and I know how good he can be and I just think sometimes he. He, he gets, you know, he, he gets involved personally, I think. Anyway, I don't know. Just, I'm, I'm interested for your take on, on a story that's broken this last week or so, although it's been around for a while. You talk about Six Nations. What's your take on, on the changing world of rugby? So does Six Nations go behind a paywall? Would it be taken up by one of the digital companies? Will there be a British league? There seems to be a whole load of change beginning to build up ahead of steam to affect club and international rugby. What's your take on, on where the game of rugby union is at the moment? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's... when The minute you have CVC in, um, you know... Uh, a huge um, fund there's going it's going to be a business and it's going to be run like a business and I think they'll be constantly looking for opportunities will it be go go behind the wall of, of, of a sky or anything like that yeah I can definitely see that happening um, and it will be such a shame because at the moment I think there's something about Six Nations being a you know sort of around for everybody to watch I think it's probably is it second or third most watched sport on terrestrial TV and yeah. and I think that would just be a shame because I think yes it's always been known as an as an upper class sport but I think the values that it has should always um you know be open to everybody so has the game got to be prepared to take some headshots for want of a better phrase some some change you've got to understand that it's it's not a financially viable professional sport really in its in its current format has it got to be prepared to make moves and, and see differences yeah it's difficult isn't it because when you say is it financially viable I think the only way for it to grow is to actually appeal to more not take more money from a selective yeah maybe group I don't know this is where I think is it better if you just have you know the five nations and they pay fortunes for it or do you think it's better having a but world cup with 30 teams this is where you know when cvc get involved somebody said during the week they were wolf in wolf's clothing because they are going to make it a profitable sport yeah. come hell or high water they will make changes that will benefit financially the game now, there may be casualties within that, yeah. as we know and love it, but maybe the game has to be prepared to cope with that. Yeah, and it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I think because we love it, because we're passionate about it, I think we want it to probably be the the values-based. And But I also think that you'll lose that if you go too money-orientated. Mm. And so hopefully CVC are doing it for the right reasons and not just the financial all right, that's the current we've yes. uh, we've chewed. Deep. The we got on. really deep, didn't we? Yeah, it was interesting. I'm I'm always interested to hear somebody's views that has been so closely associated with it now has had the chance to step back and you can see the bigger picture. Yeah. I'm gonna step back a bit further because I just want to reminisce briefly with you. Uh in Bath's colours, 
what was it, 268 appearances, yes, something yeah. ridiculous? <laughs> I mean, you, you were, you know, you, I know you were born in Torquay, but you were Bath born and bred in terms of rugby. Yeah. When you look back at your time in the blue, black and white, there must be tremendous feel-good factor within that. For all the ups and the downs, it wasn't always a bed of roses, I'm not saying that. But now you can reminisce about your Bath career. How do you look back at it? Oh, so fondly. I mean, I've got so many good memories. And it's one of the the reasons when people sort of say, oh, do you want to be a coach? And you go, oh, crikey, there's only one or two clubs you'd ever coach. And, you know, you're going to get fired at some point of being a coach. And I don't want all of my amazing memories of, of Bath yeah. to to sort of ever end like that. So, yeah, I look back so fondly, whether it was a 17-year-old guy, you know, growing up with the likes of Jan Evans, Jerry Guskett, um, you know, going right the way through to uh, Borthwick's, Michael Clarsons and Butch James. I think it was just you don't realize at the time because you're in it, but how many lifelong friends and how many good experiences you have. It's, it's a great, and that's why I love the sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I do Twickenham quite often and sometimes I'm mentioning his name again, blimey, second time Flats is with us and, you know, he immediately goes into, Hey Piglet, how you doing? And all that, that bonhomie is still there all these years after you've finished seeing each other day on, on day. Yeah. But it still remains. The links are still strong. Oh, definitely. I think it's something about, and that's why it's such a, an amazing sport, is that it's you've been to places that are quite dark and you've got each other's backs and whether it's been raining or it's sunny or you're losing and you've got to come back, there's just that whole looking someone in the whites of their eyes and going, you know, it's, it's, we're here and now and I, I, have you got my back? Do you keep contact with those guys? Is there still WhatsApp or texting? Or yes, whatever? yeah. Um, the banter continues. Yes, we still. There's still a lot of abuse flying around. We uh, we try and see each other sort of as much as you can. As you know, the the world moves on fast, but there is always sort of you know bumping into each other or you know or coffees. So yeah, <laughs> coffees, coffees and more coffees. And, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, the focus of these podcasts is what's going to happen at Twickenham yeah. at HQ for the Clash and. Uh, Again, talking to that person who I shan't mention again, we were talking back on reminiscing on on the first time you stepped out at Twickenham. What's your first appearance at Twickenham? And how much do you remember of it? Yeah, so my first appearance at Twickenham um, was uh, probably a Middlesex Sevens. um, Really? Yes, yeah. I I always remember it. It was sort of the, you had to put out a certain amount of first team players And then, so what they'd do is... They, was that August or May? Because it, it used to be played the end of the season, yes, and they moved it. It was uh, end of the... It was sort of pre-season time, so it was, so it was, August. was August, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I, I never forget looking at the pitch going, oh my God, it looks bigger... At the, it looks big at the best of time, bigger than the wreck. And then when you've only got seven players on it, I was like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> as a front rower, you're always Short looking. Legs. Yeah. What can I do? Most people sort of worry about who's the big kid when you're playing. But as a front rower, you're looking for the fast bloke that's going to make you look really, really silly. <laughs> and in sevens, that's <laughs> over. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and I was obviously being reasonably fit. They were always like, right, Mirza, you're in pretty good condition. So don't worry, you can go to the sevens. And uh, oh my goodness, yeah, it was. I think I captained the seven Middlesex sevens at one point. One training session, yeah, one the... training session, and and out we went. I think Henty Martins was our scrum half at the time, um, and he sort of gave us a halftime speech, one of the most inspirational speeches ever. And it went something along the lines of, "For the first seven minutes of this game, 
We we stick together. We've got each other's backs. And the second seven minutes is every man for himself. Because <laughs> <laughs> it depends where you've got to on the pitch. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Breathing out of your backside. So, that yeah. That was the first step. That was out. my first. Um, and in wonderful conditions. Then um, I think uh, there was a final where we got beat by Leicester. All right. Um, and then, obviously, England caps. Yeah, yeah. I but, announced you, I think, 2005. Yes, yes. Off the bench to replace Tomo, Steve That's, Thompson. Yeah, yeah. Another man who I still uh, try and have coffee with every now and again, yeah, seeing yeah. him on Friday, actually. But that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so international was a whole different ball game. And this is why, you know, the clash for me is is great. Because, yes, it's, um, it, it's at Twickenham and it's a massive game. But there's not the pressure of international. So I loved my uh, my clash games, or as we called them then, it was. Oh, I think we played Wasps. Sort of. Th- well, you mentioned it. I mean, it was a St George's Day game that I think yeah. Wasps initiated, which is the same matchup this year in the clash. Yeah. Ten years ago, I'm I'm reliably informed that, and you played in that one. So, a big club game at Twickenham that isn't a final is it's got to be a, a different feel isn't yes it? unbelievably different feel and and it is around that pressure and I, I reckon it's probably some of the best rugby I've played in because you are on a ground that you love and the the pressure's off a little bit and you can just play and I think we we scored quite a few points both times <laughs> so good memories really good memories really yeah. good memories so. good this this whole setup for for the clash has so much appeal that's wider than just Bath rugby and Wasps rugby. And from that point of view, it has great importance in terms of delivering club rugby to a different audience. We talked about Six Nations and terrestrial TV. It's assimilate in some ways that you're going to a market that may not be going to rugby on a regular basis. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've I've been involved since then, sort of being on the other side of it now as a supporter, I've actually been up to watch the clash where my sons played with all of the community teams because oh, everybody really? gets, I think they have all of the, like a, a tournament. Yeah. So you go up in the morning with all the community teams from all over Bath um, and you inspire these young kids. And, I'm not, and on the back of that, which is why I think it's so good, is my son was literally like, oh, dad, when can I, you know, when can we go back and watch Bath? And, and this is why I think it's so powerful. Last but not least, it would be rem- uh, remiss of me not to ask how you're doing. How's the heart going? I know you're you're stupidly fit, so you must still be doing lots of uh, lots of activity. Yeah, I still do a, a bit. Obviously, uh, it's probably I probably eat less. <laughs> That's what I worked out. It only took me forty odd years. Um, it's the equation. Yeah, yes. Oh, happy birthday for Thursday! Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, getting old. You too, oh, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so. one other thing. Have you still got your pilot's license? No, I haven't flew, flown as much as I uh, as I'd have liked. So um, I have dabbled um, with a friend of mine who's got some helicopters. So I've been uh, I've been in and around his uh, a few times. But yeah, at the moment, because if you don't keep the hours up, um, it lapses. Oh, right. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of to, to do it as a hobby. It's a lot of hours. So um, a lot of money, I should yeah, know. yeah, and a lot of money as well. But is but, it still something that you want to do? I mean, is it? 
Yes. Come on, kids, let's go out. I'm going to ride no. my helicopter. I think if you if you're gonna, I was looking to do it as a career and a job. So I think that's where you know, and I, I was really you know smashing the hours in. But when I realised with the heart issue that it probably, although I did get my it's typical, isn't it, being a short man in sport, told you can't do something. So I was like, right, I'm going to get my first class medical. I'm going to get my license. Um, and then obviously, yeah, when you realise it's not going to be part of your job, and you're looking at what you can and can't do. Um, it was four or five hours. So every time you want to go up and, uh, the, I was, that meant I was missing rugby matches and cricket matches. And so, yeah, I had to shelve. It's got to happen though. Piglets in space. It's got to happen, right? Lee Mears, thank you very much for Uh, your time. Thanks for having me. The Clash podcast will be available from all good podcast platforms. We'd love you to like it, subscribe and share the pod with your friends. We'd like to thank our producers, Simon Ward and Dan Brown for their support in the launch and recording of this podcast as well as the team here at the club. See you next time.